Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening and welcome to another exciting episode of That's Truth coming from the studios of the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. I'm Nathan Owens and sitting across the desk from me is Pastor Dr. David Murphy. Good evening, Pastor. Good evening, Brother Nathan, and good evening to those who will be listening tonight. Let me start out the program as I usually do by reminding you that this is an interactive program. We not only have it designed so that you can interact with us, but we look forward to your interaction. Thank you in advance for your questions. Now, before we get to our topic for the episode tonight, Pastor, we have a WhatsApp question that came in just this evening. And the question is, Pastor, in Genesis chapter 6, verses 2 and 4, who are the sons of God's? And to set the context, I'll read the first four verses of Genesis chapter 6. And it came to pass, when men had begun to multiply on the face of the earth, and the daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, and that they were fair. And they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he is also flesh. Yet his days shall be an hundred and twenty years. And verse 4, there were giants in the earth in those days. And also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, and the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. Pastor, who are the sons of God? Well, the passage there in um, Genesis chapter 6 refers to the pre-Noahic uh, flood when the conditions were such that um, God was moved to completely obliterate the entire civilization because man's sin had become so evil. There are two interpretations of this passage. One is that it's referring to God's people, godly people, who interacted with the um, the ungodly. Some said that these were the Sethites interacting with um, um, Cain, the Cainites, uh, the descent of Cain, um, and that this here had to do with the believers crossing the border and mixing together with unbelievers. I I don't feel that that's the proper interpretation. Um, I think if you want to interpret it properly, you've got to see what the word sons of God mean, and you've got to look at it as it moves through the Bible. We can't put in, uh, inject a meaning on it because we know that the sons of God normally refers to um, angels. And if you take the, this passage and you apply it to the book of Job, 
Now, Job is supposed to be the oldest book in the Bible, by the way. Um, and you'll find that the word sons of God there in Job refer to angelic beings. I personally believe that these are fallen angelic beings uh, that fell with Satan, and that uh, there was a commingling between these fallen angelic beings and these uh, human beings at the time. Um, now, I know that the Bible tells us that angels are not married or given in marriage, but remember, you deal with fallen angelic beings. And remember also, Peter talks about a distinct group of angelic beings that left their first estate. And uh, as a result, they reserve in chains of darkness. There are angelic beings that fell that are loose. That's what Satan and his cohorts, demonic powers. But there's a distinct group that Peter calls attention to that left their first estate, the, the order in which God had placed them, basically. And uh, as a result of that, they are now reserved in chains of a place called Tesaurus. Uh, so I believe that that's what you're referring to, that these were fallen angelic beings, evil fallen angelic beings that became demonic powers that commingled with the human race. And I think that's why it goes on to mention that in that day there were giants in the land. It's interesting that all mythologies normally talks about uh, some commingling, and normally talks about, as a result of that commingling, uh, giants and um, um, super beings, basically. And I think that that is um, part of the uh, heritage that we have, that all basic civilizations uh, make some reference to, to something of this happening and as an explanation for why there were these superior beings uh, uh, um, during that period of time. So I think that even though the mythology has been twisted and abused, I do think like um, it has some grounds that this could be what really happened. But again, um, those are two interpretations, and I just prefer the, the latter one because it, it helps to explain some other passage of Scripture. Why would some angels that fell with Satan be reserved in chains and not given the freedom that the others have? And I think that, uh, and Peter, by the way, refers to these angelic beings in relation to the flood. So I think that that is what this is all about. Um, again, I can't speak with absolute authority. But I'm inclined, inclined to take that interpretation. The other thing I like to say is, those of people that do um, studies in demonism and demonology and who are familiar with demonic powers, uh, there are demonic powers called incubus and succubus. Um, you can check that on any uh, book, that any, any whether it be it doesn't have to be Baptist, just read up in, on the incubus and succubus. And you will discover that there are demonic powers that try to interfere with human beings sexually. I mean, I, I can, I mean, I, I know that from, not that it's happened to me, but it's happened to people that I know. Mm -hmm. And I, that's why I think that there is something to this, that they do try to intervene and interfere. Uh, and there are what you call evil demons, wicked, uh, unclean, the word, uh, the word that is used, but unclean. And if you check that word unclean as used in the scriptures, it has to do with sexual uncleanness, basically, fundamentally, unless it's dealing with ceremonial uncleanness. So I think that that is the basis on which I would uh, be inclined to go in that way of interpretation. Thank you to the individual who sent that question in, and thank you to the individual who sent this other question in from Bendel's. Pastor, we have one that just came in. Why did Jesus die on the cross to save people? Well, there's no other way. <laughs> uh, remember, did it have to be on a cross? 
it well whether it be on the cross or not he had to die a, a death that involved the shedding of his blood okay and and it would have to be on the cross as well because it was predicted in the book of psalms that his his hands would be pierced and his um, body would be pierced so the only 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 form of of um death that would have allowed that to happen would have been crucifixion the romans are the ones that instituted crucifixion so he had to die on the cross because of the prophetic word but um the shedding of blood was necessary because every type in the bible um, all the sacrificial systems in the Old Testament book of Leviticus, every sacrifice that involved the shedding of blood was a foreshadowment of what would actually happen. So his blood had to be shed because the Bible said without the shedding of blood there's no remission. And that is why if Jesus were to die in this point, this time, he, he had to come in the fullness of time. What I'm saying, there was a distinct time in God's economy when the Messiah would come and he decided in what historical people, period would come. This helps us to understand, by the way, that there's only one Messiah. We don't have to look for another one. He's already come because the Bible already gave you the credentials and gave you a complete portfolio of all the different events that had to take place and uh, all the credentials the Messiah would have. And Christ alone fulfilled those credentials. If you'd like to send your question in throughout the night, you can WhatsApp or text it to one 782 1454 or you can call and be put live on the air. One two six eight four six two seventy four twenty. 462 Can I say something else here? Uh, there has been some confusion between the death and the blood of Christ. There are some people that don't think that blood had to be shed. They just think that the blood is a symbol of his death. Uh, but I think if you're going to be uh, consistent with the biblical teaching, his death had to involve the shedding of blood because the Bible makes a word that it's the shedding of blood that is the means that God had given in the Old Testament as a covering. And all of them were prefiguring that Christ would die, his blood would be shed. So I don't think that we need to uh, do a false dichotomy between the, the blood of Christ and the death of Christ. And I think uh, some time ago, I, I remember there was a massive debate with John MacArthur yeah that he refused to yield on that point. His point was that the blood symbolized the death. And there was a great contention among fundamentalists uh, on that matter. I'm not even too sure that he's actually yielded on that position as yet. But my, uh, my, my um, biblical interpretation is that he had to die, but he had to also shed his blood. And I think because if that were not true, all these other biblical types could never be fulfilled. And from the very beginning, uh, when Adam sinned and an animal had to be killed and his skins had to be uh, to cover him, that was also pointed to the fact that the Messiah would come and he would be his blood would be shed, so that his righteousness become a covering for the believer. Is there anyone on earth, any human, who does not need that sacrifice of the blood of Jesus Christ? Well, the, the Bible makes it very clear. There's only one way to deal with sin. All men are sinners uh, because of uh, Adam's sin that had been passed on. He's the federal head. We've all become sinners, and we all die because of the result of the sin. But there's only one provision for that. There's only one thing could cancel death. That is life. And there's only one source of life. That is Jesus Christ. So any person that tries to come any other way to God uh, will be sadly disappointed uh, because he will never inherit eternal life apart from coming through Jesus Christ. Our topic tonight that we're going to discuss is the most widely abused drug 
alcohol. Alcohol is not a respecter of persons. It's affected every age group in many ways. It's affected every nation and every people group. It's affected the religious and the non-religious. Pastor, that is a very broad topic. Do you want to lay some groundwork so that we have some context as we move forward? Yeah, let me just say a few uh, remarks, introductory remarks, in dealing with this subject of alcoholism. This is a far bigger problem than marijuana or cocaine, which we make so much uh, habu about. Mm. Uh, the fact is, this is why the young people find it so difficult to deal with the adults. Uh, they pretty much label them as hypocrites, that you are denying me the access to something that I enjoy. Uh, I know it's going to hurt me because you can't take any kind of smoke into your body except it's going to hurt me, and that has to do with the THC. But that is where they have a problem um, dealing with uh, those who are trying to condemn marijuana, when in truth and fact, most adults uh, are using a, a more dangerous drug than even marijuana, which is alcohol. And that's where the hypocrisy they're having a hard time dealing with. Uh, and uh, and that is part of the problem. I understand the, the reason why young people think that way, and you can't help it. But alcohol is a, a global problem, and it's a grave global problem. Um, it causes the death of millions of people every year, including hundreds of thousands of young lives uh, as a result of the use of alcohol. Uh, it's a central factor in many diseases, and is the precursor of a lot of injuries and violence. Um, it hurts a matrix of people, including the individuals and families and communities, even nations. It drains the economy of a nation. Mm -hmm. America alone spends $249 billion dealing with alcoholic problems in that country alone. Uh, every year, 2.5 million deaths globally, according to WHO, are a result of alcohol. It's the world's third largest risk factor in terms of disease and disability that comes from who as well. Uh, it's a causal factor in 60 types of diseases. 60? 60. 60. Wow. And injuries, and it's a component cause in 200 uh, problems. Uh, almost 4% of all deaths worldwide are a result of alcohol. That means more deaths of alcohol than by AIDS or violence or even tuberculosis. That's how serious the problem is. Uh, it poses especially a grave problem to men. It's the leading risk factor in death of men 15 to 50, uh, 59 as a result of injuries and violence and cardiovascular diseases. Globally, 6.2% of all male deaths are caused by alcohol. By the way, when you compare, compare that with women, only 1.2% uh, of women. So it's a huge factor for men, much more dangerous for men. It's a problem much bigger than a lot of the other issues that are currently being debated. And I don't think people are prepared to come to grips with the horror that it creates and the lives it destroys. And uh, we see it all around us. And it's a problem that uh, the Christian church needs to address. Uh, not by palliating it, but giving a biblical answer of how to how to uh, deal with the matter. If this is the biggest problem, the biggest drug issue, how did it become so socially acceptable? 
Well, if you go back, you study prohibition in America, and that is when it was legally wrong drugs, and then you had the Al Capone drug uh, port, and then it was believed that if they made uh, legalize it, um, you could get rid of all the crime that was involved in these crime, these crime uh, agencies, et cetera, et cetera, and that by making it more available, uh, you could eliminate the mafia and all these different kinds of groups. That was a belief, and that there would be a reduction in the use of alcohol, uh, but that turned out to be bogus. And other countries followed suit uh, with this whole matter of legalizing alcohol. Uh, but now we have uh, such a long period that we can look back on it and see the mayhem and the harm and the damage and the uh, uh, the wrecking of society and lives and homes and families and the astronomical costs of, of uh, dealing with it, uh, both in the point of imprisonment, dealing with those people as a result, dealing with medical issues. It's a horrific uh, problem. But again, I am not too sure that society has the the uh, the ability to want to deal with it because it becomes so socially acceptable. I think before we go any further, I should have you answer this question. Is alcoholism a disease? Well, it, it depends if you, what you mean by disease. It becomes a disease because it is a toxic poison. It's like if you take anything else with a tongue. It's, like, it's just like um, um, taking crack or cocaine. Eventually, it becomes a disease in the fact that your body begins to crave it. It so affects your body, reorders your body, it begins to crave it. But again, even stating that it's a disease does not deny the human responsibility. Okay. Right? Because, and that's the problem people don't begin to understand. The, the medical model that is being presented by the psychiatrists and the, and the doctors today is that man can't help himself uh, because every illness we have is now perceived as some kind of a chemical imbalance uh, so that we are no longer responsible. But that's not the biblical presentation. The choices we make have consequences, and we have a will. We're not animals that we, that we act out of passion. Uh, we're given a choice by God, and we make those decisions, and we ought to be able to look at what is going on and how these things affect other people. Look, my dad was an alcoholic. Uh, when my father died, uh, the night before my father died, he walked about six or seven miles. I had actually chained him in, literally chained him into the bedroom with a chain and put a lock on it. He left. I, I forgot to chain the windows. <laughs> no. So he went through the window and walked maybe about six or seven miles. And this is in the night to find a friend he knew in a place called St. Peter. I'm living in St. Michael. He lives in, a friend lives in St. Peter. He walked all that distance to find a friend uh, to get an alcohol. On his way back, he fell into the gutter. And someone called us in the morning and tell us they were passing on a bus and saw my dad in the gutter. And we had to send a, uh, my brother went with a taxi to collect my father and bring him home. I brought him home. I bathed him. I, I, I did everything. I washed him. I put him in the, back in the bedroom. And um, I didn't know that that would be the end of him because the next morning I got up and I went right in the bed and my touching was cold as ice. Hmm. So I, I know what uh, alcohol does. I, I know what it is to have the last $20 in the home and rather than buy something for the family, it is spent on alcohol. I know what it is to have to sell things in the house to keep the family going because alcohol has destroyed the whole structure. So it, it's, it's, a, it's a horrendous problem. And I would hazard a guess that uh, there are a lot of people in Antigua, a lot of homes in Antigua, where there's abuse, there's brutality, 
uh, children don't have their needs met because the father is an addict. He gets paid on, on Friday and he's in the rum shop on, 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 on Friday evening and maybe Saturday. He blows it all out and then the children suffer. It's a massive problem, horrendous problem. Uh, it's not to be taken lightly. But again, I don't think that the society has a will, especially the authorities, because it's a revenue thing as well. Huh? It's a money thing. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. And I believe that at the root of this whole um, alcohol system is greed, and uh, out of that has to do with gain and finance, and um, it's part of the capitalist system. But I think that that is part of the reason it's a money-making thing. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you have a question, you can... Call one two six eight four six two seventy four twenty to be put live on the air, or you can WhatsApp or text your question to one two six eight seven eight two one four five four. Pastor Murphy, while we were doing the introduction of our topic, we had three WhatsApp questions come in uh, from Cook's Extension. Mm-hmm. Is it right for more than one person to speak in tongues at a time in a church? Well, if you read the Apostles' instructions in Corinthians chapter 14, if tongues is legitimate to be used in a, in a church, there are certain conditionalities that are laid down. Uh, Paul said uh, one or two um, uh, at a time, let one person speak at a time, and then Paul said there must be the interpreter. So if tongues is um, accepted within a, 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 an assembly, it's one at a time, but it must also be an interpreter. If there's no interpreter, there should be no speaking in tongues. That's the instructions given to Pope by Paul in Corinthians chapter 14. And I would recommend that the the reader, uh, the person who presented the question, to go into Corinthians chapter 14 and see that Paul lays down the guideline. And by the way, it must be done in order. Uh, it cannot be uh, several people speaking at one time. It must be done in order, Paul says. And then Paul says there must be an interpreter. And if not an interpreter, uh, it is totally unscriptural. You went ahead and answered the second part of the question. Which was? Uh, they speak so fast in tongues. How can an interpreter interpret if more than one person is speaking in a tongue at the same time? Look, I am not a person that endorses the speaking of tongues. And those who know linguistics have been into these services and listened to people speaking in tongues and said it's no recognizable human language. And the tongues in the Bible, whether you look in um, the book of Acts, where it's first mentioned glossolalia, it's a human tongue. People understood. So what we have today, uh, what people say is speaking in tongues, uh, I would like to remind people that um, the, the um, Delphi oracles spoke in tongues. I'd like to remind you that not only Christians speak in tongues, that the, the pagans speak in tongues. I'd like to remind you as well that Mormons speak in tongues. Uh, in other words, and of course, the Mormon church is not a Christian church. Nobody by any standard could believe that the Mormon church is a Christian church. Uh, who knows what the doctrinal beliefs are? So we must not assume that because this, this, this practice is, is done within the church circle, we need to be aware that it can be abused. And in my judgment, there is a lot of satanic activity involved in this whole matter. I cannot see how people can go contrary to the Bible, where Paul lays down the guidelines, and uh, and they're not 
bothered at the fact that the Holy Spirit who wrote the scriptures and who's the one that uh, inspired the scriptures and the one that supervised and superintended the writing of the scriptures, that he would lay down the rules and the guidelines and then people can recklessly violate those rules and still feel they're in harmony with the Holy Spirit. That's a total contradiction. The Holy Spirit will not lead anybody contrary to the Word of God because he is the author of scripture. So when you see a practice in a church that goes against Scripture, you can absolutely know one thing. It cannot be of God, because God is not going to lead anybody contrary to His Word. And a follow-up to that question. Some churches worship God by running up and down the aisle and falling down and saying they're in the Spirit. Can you still worship God the same way within yourself if you don't run around? Look... What I see going on today is a lot of deception, a lot of emotionalism. The appeal is not to the mind, which is what the Bible emphasizes. I repeat, and I say this a thousand times, the Bible is about truth, and truth can only appeal to the mind. It is through the mind that the Bible appeals to your emotions. When you begin to grasp the truth and you understand the truth, then it affects how you feel. But what is happening today is that the music is used to arouse the feelings of the people. And this is where a lot of this emotionalism, and you play the same song again and again, and then when things begin to go a little bit slower, you speed up the the, 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 the music, whether it be the guitar or the organ. Uh, you've probably seen it on television, that, and it is just one... Um, bit of noise one after the other. The emphasis is not on truth. The emphasis is not on the word. It is on emotion and it's on uh, a lot of music. I don't have any problem with music, but I think it has its proper place. But when it takes the place of the word, uh, clearly it has displaced what God has made the centerpiece of his church. I do not believe that. Now, I do believe that there are times when you should get, you can get emotional. You can clap your hands. You can say amen, etc., etc. Uh, I would not uh, in any way uh, say that a person may not be so overjoyed that they could probably walk up the aisle or run down. I don't, I don't want to deal with that. But what I would say to you is that, that a lot of the emotion that you're seeing is copycat emotion. Let me just share one thing with the audience for just a moment. When I was in St. Vincent pastoring the church, I used to live above another church. Where I was living, the church was in another building below. And there was a young lady that used to go to our church, and she started going to this other people's assembly. And one night I was in the house, and I heard all this commotion, this noise, this raucous. And I wondering, what in the world is going on in that church? And I was able to peep through my window and look into the church, and I saw people climbing over pews, people falling down. I mean, it was uh, <laughs> a rambunctious thing going on in there. But I thought something might have been going on that was really authentic and real. So I waited now until this young lady passed the house, and I stopped her and I said, well, could I have a word with you, please? And I said to her, now let me ask you a question. Tell me what went on in there. I, I saw you uh, doing some antics and gymnastics, etc. And I'll never forget what she told me. She said, Pastor, I was just doing what everybody else was doing. That's all it was, pure copycat. Pure pressure. Nothing, yeah, peer pressure, as you would rightly say that. And I think this is what is happening in a lot of our churches. But the emotions are what people are playing with. And uh, if a man uh, tries to go direct at your emotions by passing your mind, he's reckless and vulgar to do that. 
the emotions must be appealed to through the grasping of truth. That's the biblical model. And I suspect that uh, a lot of what is happening, we'll discover ultimately it's part of the deceptive strategy of the end time to create an emotional people uh, who live on Sunday, but when they go from Monday to Friday, they have no stamina and they have no strength and they have no courage and determination to live for the Lord. So they come back next Sunday for another high. Uh, And I think this is what is happening. That's why we have so many shallow Christians, by the way. Time across the Eastern Caribbean and in the studios of the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse on this Tuesday evening is 7.58. The name of the program is That's Truth, and we're broadcasting on 1160 AM and 92.3 FM. Pastor, I was doing some study on this topic, and the statistics of how big of a problem that alcohol is is astounding. A couple of things that jumped out at me is that about 3 million violent crimes occur annually in the United States, and of those, 35% involve an offender who was drinking at the time of the offense. Another statistic was that of half of the alcohol consumed in all of the United States, it's consumed by 10% of those who drink alcohol. Yeah. Listen, the more you study this subject, and I mean anybody can barely um, do a study on themselves. They go on the Internet. You can have all, there's so much information from WHO and other organizations that are battling uh, this crisis, not only in America but other parts of the world. And I have come across some statistics as well that um, really are staggering. I want to just share a few of them here with the, the audience. Uh, 51.5% of adults, 18 years plus, are currently regular drinkers. I repeat, 51.5% of adults, 18 plus, are current regular alcoholic users. This is worldwide, or this is in a particular country? No, I'm dealing here basically with the U.S. Okay, Uh, yeah. The reason for that, by the way, is obvious. The paucity of information, statistical information, that uh, uh, countries don't seem to have. America seems to have a statistical department that you can almost get information on everything. But remember, America is a pattern for the world. What happens in America happens on a global scale. Sometimes it might be even worse, uh, etc. So what we, what I'm going to give the information, some of it I'll give from who relates to global as well. But I'll let you know which one, which one I'm referring to. In the U.S., for example, there are now 10 to 15 million alcoholics. Now think about that for just a moment. 10 to 15 million. 88,000 deaths annually are caused by excessive alcoholic use. 88,000 deaths. That's an average of six people die from alcohol poisoning every day in the U.S. Every day in the U.S., 30 people in the U.S. die every single day as a result of a motor vehicle accident, as a result of alcoholic use. That means every 51 seconds, 51 minutes um, in America, a person dies on the road as a result of alcoholic use. That's staggering. So 31% of all deaths, road accidents, are caused by alcohol use in, in the U.S. 10,000, 100,000 people die each year from alcohol-related causes like accidents, falls, fires, homicides, and suicides. That has nothing to do with the 88,000 that die from alcoholic poisoning and misuse of alcohol. Staggering. Um, Of the 309 million Americans receiving treatment for substance abuse, 
2.5 million are alcoholic related. That is a staggering figure as well. That tells you how much more serious the problem alcoholism like marijuana crack or cocaine. Can you share that statistic? Yeah. Of the 3.9 million Americans who are receiving treatment for substance abuse, 2.5 million have to do with alcohol related. Staggering, staggering. I'm told that 17% of men and 8% of women will be dependent on alcohol in their lifetime. That is staggering. It's the third highest cause of death in the U.S. The first one is tobacco, and the other one has to do with dietary and physical uh, inactivity. But it's the third major cause in America. Um, 696,000 students between age 18 to 24, these college students, are assaulted by students under the influence of alcohol. That is staggering as well. And uh, um, approximately 7,000 children in the U.S. under 16 take their first drink every day. So we are creating a generation that will follow. Uh, <laughs> that is, um, And by the way, children that begin drinking before age 15 are four times more likely to develop alcoholism than those that begin drinking after 21. The cost of the dealing with alcoholism in America costs the U.S. government $249 billion every year. You know, you, you think about that. Think of these Caribbean economies and just think of that staggering figure. And um, teenage alcohol kills 4,700 uh, teens per year. And... Um, 5.3 uh, million adults, 36 of whom are uh, uh, in jail, 36 of those percent you mentioned are in jail as a result of uh, alcohol use. Globally, there are 3.3 million deaths as a result of alcohol. That's given by um, who? And uh, who also says that alcohol contributes to more than 200 diseases and injuries-related conditions? And then the other factor here is that global alcohol misuse was the fifth leading risk factor for premature deaths and disabilities in 2010. The statistics are horrendous. Uh, college students between age 18 to 24, 1,825 die because of alcoholic use, and 48% of all who die from cirrhosis of the liver is a result of alcohol. In other words, 72.7% uh, of cirrhosis death between age 25 to 35 is a result of uh, the use of alcohol. And I'm told that in 2009, alcohol-induced liver disease was behind one of every three liver transplants in America. Uh, that gives you an idea. And 97,000 students between age 18 to 24 report experiencing alcohol-related sexual assault rate each year. And I'm told as well that 20% of all college students are labeled as AUD. That is alcohol use disorder. Uh, I don't know a grimmer picture than that that is painted in these kind of statistics. It's a horrific uh, evil that is global. And uh, what happens in America, they have the resources perhaps to deal with the problem, but we in the struggling Caribbean uh, certainly do not have the resources to deal with this growing alcoholic problem and the repercussions of it, both on the stress on the health services of the country 
And just think for a moment of, uh, I, I don't know if it's just an accident, but for a small country like uh, Antigua, the, the amount of accidents I've seen myself since I've been here, it's, it's, uh, it's incredible. I wonder how many of those are alcohol-related. Now, when that happens, it means that your insurance premium goes up. So it, it's, it escalates the cost of the premiums for the insurance. But I wish we had the statistics to help us to understand how serious a problem it is in relation to even um, deaths on the road and accidents on the road. Yes, and I agree with these statistics. There's a serious, serious problem. But why in the world would people use alcohol if there's such a problem? Well, there are so, so a lot of reasons why people use alcohol, and uh, I could share about a dozen with you. Um, some people use it because of stress. And, you know, we're living in a very stressful world, a very stressful society. And to alleviate the negative feelings that come maybe from the job or having a bad relationship, um, to relieve that kind of anxiety, some people turn to alcohol to relieve stress. The other thing that it's become the social norm is the accepted thing to do when people meet, uh, like parties or weddings or some functions. It's now become the norm that people begin to give drinks, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, and I think because it's so socially acceptable, um, I think you fall in line because you don't want to seem as though you're out of odds with what's the norm. And that, and then, of course, the environment uh, in which you're... You know, during Christmas period, uh, when I was a boy, that was the time that uh, most young fellows would drink alcohol. Uh, you came, came to the homes, and uh, you always had alcohol, vodka, whatever it is. I think within the Caribbean context, the Christmas season uh, um, is one of those environmental phases in the, uh, the year uh, where the 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 uh, coming together, the camaraderie, the socializing, uh, is conducive to the alcoholic use. The other thing is accessibility. If it's available, people normally will use it, and the more available it is, the more use. The other thing is an act of rebellion. And what I mean by that, young people like to defy the rules, and uh, that is one of the ways that they want to say that you know they've. It's a badge that they're grown up, as it were, a sign and a symbol of maturity. So it's an act of, and then peer pressure. Fear of not fitting in with the crowd who drink, just like the marijuana or cocaine. If you're with a group, you want to be accepted. You want to be uh, treated as though you belong. And, that, and then let also, let's forget, a little bit of fun and pleasure that can be derived. Uh, that's another reason. Uh, another thing you could talk about is curiosity. Uh, young people like to find out. I mean, you hear these things, and I think in connection, not just mar- not just uh, alcohol, but when it comes to other drugs, other forms of drugs, the element of curiosity is an attraction. Some people use it as well to free up their inhibitions. Uh, they are not naturally courageous and brave, but they have to give somebody a piece of their mind or they want to get back at somebody and one of the ways that they do that basically is become inebriated uh, to alcohol. Sometimes it's loneliness, um, boredom, uh, other times the emptiness. Um, the other thing that I think is important as well, sometimes it's, it's part of the job. There are certain managers in, in certain hotels that their job is to mingle with the the customers and mingle with the guests and um, um, give them um, alcoholic beverages, etc. It's like giving, it's like um, socializing with the guests. I know that for a fact. So some people engage in it not because they want to do it, because it's part of the job. And then, of course, the other thing that's mentioned sometimes is genetic predisposition. 
uh, it does seem uh, from certain scientific studies that it seems to run within certain families and it seems as though there's a genetic link not that it makes you drink alcohol but once you get on that track your genetic makeup is so weak that your resistance to alcohol is so low that you easily become an alcoholic would that be a biblical concept or am I taking a verse out of context isn't that verse that says that if the father's teeth uh, are set on edge as a result of the children's seed. That's it. Children's seed. Yeah. Well, there's another passage in the same book of uh, Ezekiel where the Lord said that will no longer be said. Uh, there's a part that said no longer will it be said that the children's teeth are on edge because the father ate, fathers ate uh, sour grapes. So it it, go, it goes both ways. But there's no doubt that um, the alcoholic be, uh, alcohol being a, a toxic poison that it can affect the body. And when it does begin to affect the body, uh, clearly it becomes what you might call a disease at that point in time. But again, if I know that my family, I look at my family, I see my dad was a drunkard. I see my my, my great-grandfather was a drunkard. Uh, I see that uh, other people, that should make me uh, want to resist uh, maybe my dad has a weakness, my fa- grandfather had the weakness, my great-grandfather had the weakness. So I don't want to be the person to get involved in alcohol because I might have a, a predisposition towards it. But again, it goes back to my choice. So stress, social norm, the environment, accessibility, uh, the act of rebellion, peer pressure, uh, fun, um, curiosity, want to free up your inhibitions, loneliness, emptiness, uh, hopelessness, uh, boredom. Uh, part of the job, uh, genetic predisposition. And then the other thing is sometimes it has a, a personality defect. And what I mean by that, there are some people who are just impulsive personalities. They are attracted to immediate rewards and not concerned about long-term consequences. So they always keep making the same mistake. And, attract, and alcohol becomes like one of those things. They want a short-time pleasure, not looking at long-term consequences. That's the part of their personality. So those are some of the, the reasons. There may be others uh, that people would give, but there are a host of reasons why people would be using um, alcohol. Here's one you didn't mention, uh, religion. Uh, Pastor, there is an organization, you may not be familiar with it, but that in the States was established in 2016 called Brew Theology. And the purpose is to get together and go to a pub, and brew theology promotes conversations such as flight samples. Many different people from different backgrounds with different perspectives having one awesome conversation. Yeah. Is there a place for using alcohol <laughs> to to brew theology? Well, Is that something a Christian should uh, be involved in? Well, of all the things I've heard, I noticed some crazy things happening in America, but this one beats beat, beats it. Listen, um, you don't need drugs. Any form of drug, whether it be marijuana, whether it be uh, peyote, whether it be mescaline, uh, to get in contact with God. Uh, Again, I repeat, Christianity is about truth, truth is appeal to the mind. You need your mind the sharpest when you're dealing with truth. And any kind of drug that that is used that affects the mind, uh, you're not sharp. At that point in time, you're losing control of your mind. And I do not believe there's any basis whatsoever for people to be sitting down, drinking beer or alcohol, to socialize, to discuss great theological uh, truths. As a matter of fact, the the Bible, as we'll point out later, has a lot to say to discourage that kind of a practice um, among people, period. Pastor, we have a WhatsApp comment that has come from Bolins. 
problem with alcohol, it shares the same issues as obesity and so many more things. The problem is there is no control of consumption and availability. What are your thoughts? Yeah, yeah we'll come to that when we talk about the effects of alcohol, why, why it affects it and how it affects people and why uh, people begin to lose control. Uh, so this whole thing, look, addictions, this is part of the addictive problem that modern man has. Is You know, people are addicted to so many different things. Um, even today, as I we, we just discussed, uh, I mentioned in a sermon recently, people are in, addicted to electronic gadgetry. Now, think about that just a moment. They're controlled by these electronic games. Some of them are late for work because they're caught up in electronic games. Some of them go to sleep four o'clock in the morning, three o'clock, because they're wrapped up in these electronic games. And again, it all has to do with the effect it has on the mind until the mind is so now controlled uh, that people don't seem to have any uh, volitional power anymore to resist these type of things. But there's so many addictions today, it's just frightening. Uh, you, you think you've dealt with one, and then the, another one comes, another one comes. And it all has to do with losing. And, and, and this is the thing. The emphasis of the Bible one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control, see? So if people are addicted, what they need is not alcohol or some other means. What they need is to part the Holy Spirit in their life to give them a measure of control over their addictions. How does alcoholism get started? Is it a fact that they lose control to start with, or it starts another way? No, alcohol, all alcoholism basically starts with social drinking generally speaking some form of just whether it's your uh, friends when you're young uh, during Christmas time or whatever it is but it normally starts with social drinking and that's the danger of uh, advocating socializing using alcoholic drinks that's how it starts if you never have your first drink you'll never be an alcoholic and so that is why you should desist from using the alcoholic. But the pressure is constantly put on people to drink in order to be sociable. And people yield to that. And, uh, and by the way, um, even in certain Christian circles today, uh, we used to practice abstinence. That was, the, that was the standard, the norm within Christian circles. Today, that's no longer the norm. Um, people are finding it very easy to advocate that as long as you do it in moderation, uh, you don't have to fear. But I would think that we should be sensible enough when you see the amount of ruin that is causing lives in society, the destruction of the alcoholic use. We are supposed to be children of light. We're supposed to be wise people. Why would we put ourselves in a situation that could possibly lead uh, to the complete deterioration of our will so that we can no longer fight the use of alcohol and we become addicts ourselves so that not only hurt our families, but hurt ourselves and hurt our friends, even hurt society. And time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 8.17. Thanks for making That's Truth part of your Tuesday evening routine. If you have a question, you can call one 462 7420 Or if you would like to WhatsApp or text your question, you can send it to one 268 Are you enjoying Pastor Murphy's teaching? You should also tune in on Sunday evenings at 8.15 p.m., for his program entitled Sermons of Grace. And we'd love for you to visit Grace Baptist Church 
in Gambles Terrace, Antigua. Same road, Rowan Henry Street, the same road the cemetery is on. And Sunday morning service starts at 10 a.m., Sunday evening service at 7 p.m., and Thursday evening service at 7 p.m. Pastor Murphy, how does alcohol work in the human body? Well, from the uh, reading that I've done on this particular subject, um, alcohol is really a, a depressant, and it affects the central nervous system. It creates what they call an anesthetic effect. Um, it, what it does, it slows down your reaction very measurably, uh, and it affects multiple systems in the brain. Um, it has a double solubility. It can dissolve in fats and water, and that's what makes it able to invade the nervous cells of the, of the body. Uh, it binds the brain receptors, binds to the brain receptors, and then it activates and releases, uh, causes the, the um, inhibitor, um, what they call inhibitory neurotransmitters to the central nervous system. So what it does basically is that it affects the brain, especially the cortex of the brain, which is the higher brain center, so that it affects your memory, your conscience, and your judgment, and it makes it difficult uh, for a person to solve problems or even memorize data. But it's actually a poison in the in the mind. The other thing about it is that uh, it can be metabolized in the liver uh, and can cause irreversible damage, as you would know, cirrhosis of liver. So the, the solubility of it is doluble, uh, double solubility, both in water and the fat, allows it to invade the, 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 the nervous cells, and it begins to uh, bind itself to the receptors in the brain, and then it activates and releases inhibitors that interfere with the neurotransmitters, which affect the function of the brain. So that's what's happened. Is it possible to categorize or say this is the slippery slope that people head down as they become an alcoholic? Is it possible to say this step leads to this, which leads to this, or that's overthinking it? No, everything uh, in life, basically. Um, like, take take um, marijuana. Marijuana is a interest drug. And what I mean by that is it's a gateway drug. Uh, if you are on marijuana... Uh, you grab it. You you gradually move on to something higher. You get into crack cocaine. You go into something else. It's it's not just a, a one because the problem with it is that not the problem with it. You want to get the same high, uh, the first high you had, which is the superior high. You keep getting, but again, your body be de- develops resistance. You got to get more one, more one, more one, more marijuana, and then afterwards you want something even higher than that. So you go to uh, you advance to something even higher. When it comes to alcohol, it's the same thing, basically. Um, it starts, and there are certain steps that lead to a person becoming an alcoholic. Uh, I would recommend a book that is written by a guy called Jerry Dunn. It is called God is for the Alcoholic. I saw it in CLC. I had a copy of it already uh, on myself because one of the courses I did in counseling was to deal with alcoholism, and this is one of the books that was recommended. And I had the book, uh, and I've read the book, and I've used the book. But he um, is a recovery recovered uh, alcoholic, and he was greatly involved in speaking to different groups in churches and even speaking to medical doctors about the condition and and, and, uh, how to deal with it. 
And in his book, God is for the Alcoholic, he talks about seven distinct steps that a person follows uh, before he meets which is Kid Row. Uh, as I pointed out to you, uh, the first step is always social drinking. It always starts out that casual social drinking, um, sitting down, talking with friends, um, sharing, etc. in a, a nice ambience, good atmosphere. It always starts with that. Uh, that leads to what is called dependent drinking. Um, this is where now you begin to turn to alcohol uh, when things start to build up and when problems begin to get uh, too hard or too great. You find yourself now not just uh, using alcohol when you're socializing, but now you have a difficulty or problem or you're having some kind of a, uh, a setback. Uh, or pressure begins to build up, you now begin to turn to alcohol. You begin to depend upon alcohol to bring this kind of relief. So from social drinking, you become to dependent drinking. And uh, you know you're on dependent drinking when you are using alcohol to resolve problems and to deal with issues in your life. And you don't feel you can handle it without using alcohol. He said the third stage, a stage called pre-alcoholic stage. And this is a person who becomes a regular drinker. And he begins to gulp down the alcohol now. Uh, he also drinks in sleigh. Uh, he doesn't want his family and friends to understand he's become dependent. If he goes to a party, he volunteers to be the barman. He always likes to be near the drinks once he begins to reach that stage. So he's now a pre-alcoholic stage. Uh, his glass is always filled. And uh, he gives evidence that he's beginning to become intoxicated when you meet him uh, at the party. And his personality begins to change, and he develops what is called a alcoholic personality. And the chief thing about alcoholic personality is that he becomes an accomplished liar. He lies to his wife that he doesn't drink. He tells his friends he can handle it. He's not drinking uh, as much as... So one of the things about him, when he reaches the pre-alcoholic stage, he's now lying his way to cover up his, his the ground. But he's actually a person who... Um, it's finding tremendous pleasure and delight uh, in the use of alcohol. That's the pre-alcoholic stage. Then the fourth stage that uh, Dunn talks about is called the problem drinking stage. This is where he begins to lose control um, of the drinking habit. Uh, he can start, but he, he can't seem to be able to stop when he wants to. That is the warning sign that he's now in the stage of the pre-alcoholic stage. Um, this stage also he gets drunk on the weekends uh, and the problem with he can't take one drink and leave it he must have a second he must have a third now he's at the stage that is called the problem drinking stage and uh, he begins to have fear and anxiety that he's beginning to lose it he doesn't tell anybody that but he's wrestling with the fact that this thing is a monster he's beginning to control his life the fifth stage is called the drop over point stage this is where now he's unable to maintain a normal life Alcohol begins to affect his family, his friends, and associates. And his entire life is now centered on one thing only, getting another drink. Uh, he can no longer control when he starts. He can no longer control when he stops drinking. And he starts to drink because he cannot help it. And he continues long periods of intoxication. The body has built up a dependence on alcohol, and he can no longer uh, deny that he needs alcohol. So he spends every waking moment of his day, all he's thinking about is after work, after work, the next, the next drink, the next drink, the next drink. And the other thing about him, he's a master of deception. He has taken lies to another level now, because it's a problem, 
It's beginning to affect his family, and he begins to uh, cover up everything he's doing uh, by using a lot of lies. And then the sixth stage uh, that Dunn talks about is the chronic alcoholism. This is when he begins to be so bad, he loses his job, and he can't seem to keep a job. This is the stage as well when the family and his friends become disgusted with him and begin to get heart sick with him, no longer want to tolerate him around. And he goes through long periods of intoxication and it normally ends with what is called delirium tremens, where he gets trembling, uh, almost like withdrawal symptoms, symptoms is what begins to happen to him. And he now becomes a passive individual with a resignation attitude that there's nothing now he can do. Uh, so uh, he can't keep a job and that leads to the final stage called organic deterioration where he no longer cares how he looks he's dirty, he's unshaven his eyes are always bleary and his face is perpetually bloated and flushed and of course he begins to suffer health problems he doesn't have a desire to work Walking is a torture. His hands begin to tremble. He becomes uh, malnutritious, and he begins to have gastric and nervous problems, and, of course, liver ailments and then circulatory problems. His mind begins to deteriorate. He's now in skid row. But notice where he started, social drinking, see? And progressively, as he takes more alcohol and his body resists it, he begins to deteriorate and deteriorate and deteriorate, and he doesn't have the willpower to stop. It begins to control him and dominate his life. It's like a demon inside him now. I've seen that happen with my dad. I've seen it happen with many other people. And um, uh, I resolved, even before I was a Christian, that I would never be a person to use alcohol. I've, I've seen it happen in my father. And I've seen it happen in my father's friends. Uh, and uh, I never wanted it to happen to me. And thank God I got saved and never was part of that. However, but when I was a little boy, you know, teenager, uh, during Christmas period, we did indulge in the use of it. But uh, I got saved about 17, and that was the turning point in my life. Uh, so I thank the Lord for saving me. Um, I don't know what would have happened if I would gotten into the control of this particular drug, because it is a drug. But those are the seven steps that uh, Dunn talks about. And those who are interested in uh, knowing further, I will recommend the book. I saw it in CLC some time ago, and I believe they might have one or two copies there still. Time Across the Eastern Caribbean is 8.28. We still have 30 minutes left in the program. Pastor, we have a couple of WhatsApp questions that have come in while you've been talking. And the first one is from Bendel's. And it reads, what is the meaning of Shantalaba? Most people in church crying out saying Shantalaba say they are speaking in thought. I don't understand Shantalaba because anybody can say Shantalaba. And I asked a preacher man, and he was saying to me that anyone who troubles you, just give them the Christian cursing. So I asked him, what is a Christian cursing? And he said, just say Shantalaba. And I don't understand what is it. I hope I wasn't just cursing anyone. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is the same thing that Paul warns the Corinthians about. When Paul is about to deal with this whole matter of speaking in tongues, uh, Paul says, no man can call Jesus a curse uh, and be controlled by the Spirit. There's a reason why Paul said that. Maranatha is the Lord cometh. Yeah. 
but there is a word uh, that you can use that is quite similar to Maranatha, which is a curse word. And that's why Paul is warning these Corinthians, you're using words you don't even know what they mean. You'll be cursing Christ and don't even know. And he said, no man that speaketh by the Spirit can curse Christ. See, uh, And that is why the difference between anathema and uh, maranatha, they're so close. And Paul is talking about the words that uh, be very careful that when you're under the influence of this so-called speaking in tongues, that you're not actually using words that are actually cursing Christ. This particular word, I don't know what this word means, but I would suggest to anybody that this is not a word I would use. Uh, I don't know what it means. There's nobody to interpret what it means. And uh, I don't know uh, why anyone would use a word like this and not even know the meaning of it. Um, this is part of the end-time deception. Look, when I was in St. Lucia, sorry, St. Vincent, I was there from uh, 80, 80 to 85, five years. Uh, they brought a guy from the church, they brought a guy, the Pentecostal church, from, brought a guy from Guyana to teach people how to speak in tongues. Now, how in the world do you teach people to speak in tongues? If it's, of the if it's a gift, right? And, uh, and by the way, uh, I could stay in the house I told you was living right below the church, and I can hear them repeating certain words, certain words, certain words. He would say certain words, repeat certain words. I, I wonder today, where is biblical literacy? Why are people moving away from the Word and accepting the opinions of men rather than going back to Scripture to see if there's any valid reason for practicing these things? And if there are valid reasons, how, what's the biblical guidelines for practicing these kind of things? Uh, I, I think people are just being mesmerized because people are looking for something ecstatic, something supernatural. They want something that, they want pyrotechnics. They're not prepared to just allow the Word of God uh, with the understanding, the grasp, the truth, let that truth get hold of their life and begin to transform their life. They want something I- immediate. It's almost like they want a high. It's, almost, it's like a drug, basically. And I think this is part of the modern time deception. I think it will grow. And we ought to come out of those things that are contrary to Scripture. And this one, for sure, uh, this word is not worth repeating. And if there's no person to interpret the word, I would not recommend anybody to use this word, whether in church or out of church. Uh, the closest thing that I could find on Google is that the name, uh, very similar to that, generally means goddess Parvati, is of Indian origin and is shared by those who are practicing the Hindu religion. Okay. Let me just, I'm glad you mentioned that. This is the problem with um, yoga as well. They give you uh, a particular word that becomes your your word, a unique word. It's normally a Hindu God's word that you keep repeating to meditate upon until you lose your sensibility. You keep see, That's what you do. You just keep repeating this word. It's a mantra. You keep repeating the word. So it might be this word. You keep repeating, 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 until finally you're out of your consciousness. It is part of the Hindu cult. And I would not be surprised that uh, the demonic spirit that is beginning to uh, control a lot of these end-time churches and influence the churches, I would not be surprised if they're bringing that into the church itself. Pastors need to have discernment. And uh, it's very, very sad to say that that is not the norm. And I think that part of the reason, again, is the entertainment culture within the church. I think also is the mega church mentality that is more concerned about people and money than it is about truth. I think that's where the problem lies, and it ought to be condemned uh, by those who hold the biblical truth. 
Thank you to those who are sending in WhatsApp questions tonight. Lots of interaction. Pastor, another WhatsApp question from Antigua. Good night and blessings. As usual, your program is enlightening and edifying. Thank God for your and Dr. Murphy's ministry. My question is, is it wrong for those who use alcohol or wine in Holy Communion? Look, the concept of uh, behind the uh, use of wine, it's a symbol of the blood of Christ, okay? I would think that if we want something to properly symbolize that that, that, that blood would be... Remember that um, any kind of fermentation, any kind of yeast is a symbol of what? Sin. Corruption and mm-hmm. sin. And I think it's improper to use alcoholic uh, beverage, uh, whether it be wine that has uh, alcoholic content, because it has gone through the fermenting process. I think if we want to properly illustrate what the blood of Christ is, the pure, unadulterated blood of Christ, I think grape juice is, is, is uh, the proper thing without the fermentation process, because I think the pr- fermentation process uh, illustrates the corruption of the, the blood of Christ. So I wouldn't recommend that people um, use um, uh, any kind of wine or alcoholic thing because that involves the process of, of fermentation, which I think violates the principle of the holiness and the purity of Christ's blood. Uh, so that would be my view on that matter. Time Across the Eastern Caribbean is 8.35 on this Tuesday evening. If you have a question, go ahead and call with it. The phone number to call is 1-268-462-7420. Or if you'd rather WhatsApp or text, send your question to 1-268-782-1454. Yeah, but Nathan, I might add here as well, that's why when you're using even the communion bread, you you want to avoid putting um, yeast and so on in it because again, uh, Paul talks about the um, in the book of Corinthians. It talk about uh, coming together um, and eating the the bread, and um, he talks about um, I forgot the particular verse there, but it has to do with the matter of the the it being um, uh, what do you call the bread without. Um, Leaven bread? Unleavened. Unleavened, yes, that's the word, unleavened. Use the word unleavened. Uh, let us, uh, so the, the communion is supposed to be uh, a type, and uh, the unleavened bread is what's supposed to be used to, to really manifest that type, because leaven is a type of corruption and sin. And if you read Corinthians, the passage I'm talking about, you find that Paul talks about the unleavened bread of sincerity and uh, truth, as opposed to the leaven, which has to do with sin and iniquity. Pastor, what's the difference between, I know in some statistics and some articles that I read, it talks about a primary and a secondary alcoholic. What, what is that referring to? Uh, the, Amer- the American Medical Association um, are the ones that come up with these fine distinctions, and they divide alcoholics into two groups. Um, there is first the primary group. The primary alcoholic are those who drink because of the addiction alone. That's the reason why they're addicted to it. The secondary alcoholic is a kind of person who begins to drink compulsively because of personal problems or physical reasons, and he later becomes an alcoholic. So he's not the one that's addicted. Uh, the primary alcoholic is the one who's addicted, but this person is the one who is um, trying to escape personal problems and using alcohol as a means to resolve his issues and his problems. That's the fine distinction. The other one, he's addicted, he got to use it. This one is using it, but he's only using it because it helps him to resolve his problems. So he got problems with his wife, he drinks alcohol. He got problems at work, 
or he got problems with a, a friend, his way of dealing with it is, is alcohol. Or he has he hears about a medical um, exam and it doesn't go the way he his way of dealing with it is alcohol, alcohol. He's a secondary. Eventually, because he keeps using alcohol, he becomes primary because he becomes addicted. But he's not at that stage as yet. Is all addiction a sin? That's a good question. Uh, I mean, obviously, other than being addicted to reading God's Word and to praying. <laughs> uh, I, 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 it depends on addiction, all addiction to what. I mean, um, and then what we mean by that, addicted is something that basically that you have lost control of in the sense that um, something you enjoy doing and you keep doing and you keep doing and you keep doing. There are things that are good addictions. Uh, addicted to reading, addicted to investigating information, but generally speaking, most forms of addictions are sinful. For example, take the take the the electronic addiction. Mm. Think about that just a moment. Here's a guy that is so addicted; he spends in, the time he should spend reading the Word and studying and praying. He is in lost control. Uh, it begins then he begins to lose respect in his home. His children begin to say, "But daddy's spending too much time, or whatever he's spent." But he doesn't have control. I know of situations like that, by the way where the, the children lost complete con- uh, respect for the father because he was so addicted. His nights are spent just on this thing and just he, and he, he keeps going and going and going and even when the children are in bed, the wife in bed, he's still on these things. Right? Uh, even that, I mean, th- think about the, the person not going out and committing any kind of gross immorality, but it's the use of time. Right, it's the use of um, family time as well, and the effect it's having on his children. If he doesn't seem to be concerned that he's losing his witness and his testimony and the respect of his kids, and his addiction is so powerful that he's prepared to sacrifice his family's well-being for that, clearly that becomes a sin uh, as well. Pastor, what are the effects of alcohol? There are so many effects that when you begin to read, it's like the, the one we did on, on marijuana. You wonder why anybody wants to smoke marijuana. But uh, when it comes to alcohol, there are so many effects that um, it's worth singling out uh, some of these. If you drink too much alcohol uh, on a single occasion or you drink too much alcohol over time, it will take a toll on your body. So it's not that you're drinking over a long time. If you drink too much one time, it can affect your body in many ways. Um, take your brain, for example. It, it interferes with your brain uh, communication pathways, and that would lead to mood changes and changes in your behavior um, so that you lose, for example, coordination. You can't think clearly. That's one way it affects. It definitely affects the brain. When it comes to the heart, um, it can damage the heart. Um, some of the diseases it can cause, um, one of them is stretching of the drooping of the heart muscle. So disease of the heart muscle, the card- uh, cardiomyopathy. The other one that it can cause irregular uh, heartbeat. It can cause a stroke. And when you call it by a stroke, it means you can call it a blockage or a hemorrhage where your blood vessel bursts and it cuts off the oxygen to your brain. That's what a stroke is. Alcohol um, causes that. And then it, it causes high blood pressure. So it not only affects the brain, it affects the heart. And then the liver, it takes a toll on the liver. And you have a variety of problems uh, that is caused by alcohol. There's something called fatty liver or sciat- uh, sciatosis. 
There's also something called alcoholic hepatitis. This is inflammation of the liver, and uh, this is where it causes jaundice, and it causes uh, enlargement and can cause fever. Then there's something called fibrosis. That is development of organs, fibrous tissue becomes excessive, and then of course you know cirrhosis, which is inflammation uh, within the the, uh, the liver. So the brain is affected, the heart is affected, the liver is affected, and then the pancreas is affected. Um, it's a toxic poison to the pancreas. I can call pancreatitis, which is a dangerous inflammation and swelling of the blood vessels in the pancreas and can uh, prevent proper digestion. Um, then it causes cancer. A lot of uh, studies have been done uh, which links uh, cancer uh, to the use of alcohol, uh, especially um, um, in the oral cavity uh, like the, the pharynx, uh, your, which is your throat, the larynx as well, which is your voice box. Um, if you are drinking uh, three and a half drinks per day, uh, your possibility of having cancer in those areas is very, very real. You're, it's two to three times greater risk if you're taking two to three uh, drinks a day uh, that you get one of these forms of cancer. It also causes cancer in the esophagus, um, and then it causes liver cancer as well. Um, and then, surprisingly, this might shock some people, it causes breast cancer. Really? Uh, yeah. The studies that have been done, if a woman is taking uh, three, point, three drinks per day, she is almost two times more likely to get breast cancer than the average person. So it's a lot of effects uh, on, the, on this matter. Um, uh, a, a study was done in the UK uh, with more than 28,000 women with breast cancer and it was discovered that if you're using uh, 10 grams uh, which is about 6 drinks uh, you're 12% increase of having uh, breast cancer so it has a toll and then there's also colon cancer and uh, rectal cancer all of these are linked to alcohol. If you're taking at least three drinks per day, your risk of getting the, uh, the disease is, 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 is far more than the normal person who doesn't drink. And then it affects your immune system so that your body becomes a target for disease. So when you look at it, it has so many physical effects that when you begin to read the, and uh, learn these things, you begin to wonder, but why in the world would people be so crazy? Uh, to be so wrapped up on uh, alcohol. Uh, cancer uh, is a serious problem, and uh, especially breast cancer is becoming so common. Uh, I wonder if ladies are aware of the fact that there's a link between the alcoholic use and breast cancer. And of course, people should know the colon cancer and the pancreatic cancer for sure. And you, you can imagine in the mouth where the alcohol goes along your throat cancer, your larynx, your pharynx, etc. All of these are uh, effects that it has uh, on, on, on the body. There are others as well. Um, it creates sexual problems. Sexual dysfunction as well is a, one of the things of alcohol. Um, and then there is a, a, a situation called osteoporosis. You've probably heard of that. This is where it, the bones become brittle and they become porous and is subject to fracture. 
because of loss of calcium and other minerals, alcohol is linked uh, to that itself. So a whole wide range of um, problems that uh, are caused by alcohol. And uh, this is why it is something that needs to be tackled. Remember, it's the major abuse of drug uh, in the world today. And no doubt the major abuse of any drug in Antigua and in the Caribbean. And of course, we are known for producing rum. Uh, with our flavor, so uh, this might be going contrary to the economic uh, um, uh, concerns of the country to be talking about these type of issues, but uh, I am more concerned about uh, humanity and and helping people than I am about economics and uh, using, and again I repeat what the Bible says, the love of money is the root of all evil, and people who have vested interests in these types of resources um, would normally fight back against any suggestion of control of alcoholic use, etc. But uh, certain things have to be put in place to limit the use of alcohol at the early age. Uh, when I was a boy, I mean, I'm not sure you can still do it in Antigua, but there are children that can go to the shop and buy run for daddy. I mean, in America, you can do that. I know you can't do that. It's restricted. Uh, but we in the Caribbean are far more liberal uh, in that we don't put the kind of controls that they put in place. And that's why uh, teenagers uh, don't seem to understand the gravity of the problem with the use of alcohol. What about in cooking? Is it advisable? Is it okay? Is it a Christian gray area? Is it okay for a Christian to use alcohol in cooking, let's say in tenderizing or flavoring meat or maybe in ice cream? S- some people would say that you're inconsistent if you suggest that it can be used. But again, all your cough syrups, all your medicines that are in liquid form, they have some percent of alcohol in it, so have medicinal use, right? Uh, Paul told Timothy, take a little bit for his stomach because of the, the situation. So I don't think we can um, just, with a, a blanket, umbrella phrase, uh, position, say, you know, you can't use it. Um, I, I don't have a problem with it, for example, um, to flavor something. I don't have a problem with it. We're talking about using it as a beverage. Alcohol is a beverage. But I don't have any problem because if you, if you take that position, you couldn't take cough syrup. You couldn't take any of the... Even, even uh, by the way, the the liquids that got uh, vitamins, etc. If you check the content, um, you'll find like, you'll find that they have an alcoholic content. So I don't have a problem with that, and I don't think we ought to. Um, you know, everything has a use. Uh, what we're concerned about is using it as a form of social drink and a kind of a beverage that creates this addiction that's destroying so many homes, so many lives, killing so many people every year. Uh, we want to avoid that. But in terms of putting it to flavor a food or flavor um, a drink, I don't have a problem with it. came across this statistic. It was a study done in the United States in November of 2016. And this is among individuals who have chosen to abstain from drinking. 27% of those surveyed abstain from drinking because they've seen the negative effects on close friends and family. That's the largest, the most common answer. I thought that was pretty telling that yeah. that was the most common answer. Yeah, I, I'm not surprised. I mean, look, I, you look at, I, I don't understand where rationality has gone to. It's like people don't seem to grasp 
they see things, but and I don't know if it's part of the 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 um, the type of you know we become visual and we don't concentrate anymore. Basically, we don't think people think for us. Uh, and we got all these flashing images going all over the place that we don't really understand the gravity of it. But any person, any sensible person, uh, for example, there's a doctor here in Antigua. There's a fairly high-up doctor here in Antigua. But anybody would tell you that he's a, he's a wreck. He's an alcoholic, right? Uh, I mean, you should look at a high professional person and when you begin to see that, recognize that it's like all the smarts he's got, he has no control of the use of alcohol. Uh, and they're very high professional people that doctors, lawyers, they have no control. I mean, you can, you should look at those type of people and see wh- how it's ruining their home, ruining their families, et cetera, et cetera. And look, when I was, in, um, when I was ministering in St. Lucia, there was a teacher in, um, that used to live in the downstairs. I was living in the upstairs of the downstairs. I wouldn't use his name because some people in St. Lucia might hear me talk of his name, but I always felt for that guy. First thing in the morning, uh, five, he's in the rum shop. His lips were so peeling, and um, he eventually died of alcohol. But listen, he lost his wife, he lost his children, he lost his home, and uh, he even lost his, his, his job, basically. Uh, but And you would talk to him, and... Uh, he would believe that he has this thing under control. And the only body who could see did that was himself. So deluded and so controlled by the drug. But I've seen that kind of a ruin, and I think other people ought to look at it and take a note of it and, and um, find something, another alternative. But the ruin that it is causing is, is, is just so severe, people ought to learn from it. You were talking about, you mentioned multiple times throughout the program tonight, how social drinking is often the first step in becoming an alcoholic. In a recent survey done, about 92% of American adults who were surveyed report that they have been involved in binge drinking in the past 30 days. Yep. Uh, That is something we'll probably cover next time because there's a definition for that. And then, of course, there is the um, AUD. We'll have to talk about that. But Nathan, may I just say some other things quickly yeah. about the effects, not just on the physical effects, but in terms of um, the amount of marital conflict that drinking caused, how many homes have been destroyed, how many kids' lives have been brutally uh, affected because of the abuse. Daddy comes home, he beats mommy. Daddy comes home, he beats the children. Think of the financial trouble it causes because the father can't keep a job, a stable job in the home. Think of the neglect that happens, that the father is working, but um, the fund that he gets paid and he off to the rum shop and uh, the children are neglected. <coughs> Think of the, um, the domestic violence that's often caused as a result of that. And then the absente- absent- uh, absenteeism in the workplace. Uh, how many man hours are lost as a result and that has to do with productivity so you're not only looking at it from a physical aspect but a social and economic aspect as well it's devastating think of the increase in crime uh, you did some, use some statistics for just a moment uh, when we began the program of the effect it's having in America in, in terms of uh, the, the criminals and again a lot of crime is related to alcoholic think of the violence uh, that uh, in, involved with the use of alcohol. So 
in addition to the physical things, you know, you, you, you look at the domestic violence, you look at the marital conflict, uh, you look at the financial troubles, the child neglect, the child abuse, the absenteeism in work, the crime, uh, and then those people normally have some kind of legal problems as well. So a, a whole wide range of effects that it has, negative effects, and uh, a country um, ought to be able to try to put things in regulation in place to try to control and minimize the effect it has in the society. You're listening to That's Truth on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. We are broadcasting from the island of Antigua on 1160 AM, 92.3 FM, and online at www.radiolighthouse.org. The time across the Eastern Caribbean is 8.54, and Pastor, we have Nathan calling from Nevis. Thank you for calling, Nathan, and go ahead quickly with your question. Uh, we just have a couple minutes left in the program. Yes. I Good need. evening. Good evening, sir. Um, I have. I read a few scriptures about the coming of Christ. Uh-huh. And I wonder if the coming of Christ to gather his people would be in one or two stages, or three stages. What would be it? In in second Second Thessalonians two one it says, I beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ uh-huh. and by our gathering together unto him. Uh-huh. And um in First, First Thessalonians chapter four, verses fifteen. That is verses sixteen and seventeen. Uh-huh. He says, "For the Lord shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Mm-hmm. And then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them to meet the." the Lord in the cloud, in the Lord, meet the Lord in the air. Yeah. Well, and in um, go ahead. Matthew 24, uh-huh. and I think it's verse 31, uh-huh. he says he would be coming with clouds okay. okay. and would send forth his angel and gather his elect from the four winds. Right. Is those scriptures speak of the same event? No, two different events. One has to do with the rapture, and one has to do with what is called the revelation. The Lord's returns in two stages. Uh, he comes for the church, he raptures the church, he takes the church with him. Uh, and then he brings the church back with him, at what is called the revelation of Jesus Christ, which is what you have in Matthew chapter 24. So Matthew chapter 24 has to do... The uh, our understanding of um, the, the Bible prophecy is that the next event to come is a rapture, when Christ comes for the church and takes the church back with Him. Then there's a seven-year tribulation period where God begins to deal with planet Earth in respect to Israel and the nations. At the end of that seven-year period, then Christ comes back with His church, with in the clouds with His church. So there are two different phases. There's the rapture phase and what is called the revelation phase. One would be called the rapture. One would be called what was called in the Bible the day of the Lord. In the Old Testament, the day of the Lord is the day of judgment. That's the tribulation period. The rapture was a um, a truth that was hidden in the ages but now revealed. It's called one of the great mysteries. 
However, there are types in the Bible of the rapture. Like Enoch was taken and he was translated. Uh, uh, Elijah was taken, he was translated as well. So there are types of that in the Bible, but there are two different phases for the Lord's return, the rapture for the church, and then the revelation when he comes with his church. Did that answer your question, Nathan? Yes. I would still look at it, but I don't quite understand it fully. Well, we, we, we will deal with this at some point in time as part of the program, uh, when we deal with the, the, some Bible prophecy. So there will be a program that will deal with Bible prophecy when we deal more with the rapture and the revelation and make the distinctions fairly clear and go to Bible verses to prove what we're saying. But we couldn't do that tonight because it, it, the limitation so of the time. would be a cutting up at the coming, yes. the second coming of Christ. Right. What we're waiting for right now is for him to come for us and take the church to be with him. Mm-hmm. That's what we're looking for. But after, uh, and then he begins to deal with the seven-year tribulation period when he judges the nations and he deals with Israel. If you read Romans 9, 10, and 11, you see that Paul said that one day Israel is going to be regrafted into God's program. Yes, she was set aside. Right, she was set aside because of unbelief, and God grafted the Gentiles and the church into His program. At the rapture, the church is gone, and now God grafts Israel back into His program. We'll make that clear as time goes on. Thank you so much for calling. Yes, thank you very much for your call, Nathan. We appreciate it. Thank you to each of you who sent in questions tonight. We appreciate your interaction. We look forward to it next week. And next Tuesday, we will be continuing this discussion on the topic of the most abused drug, which is alcohol. We'll be talking in more detail some different aspects of alcohol and the effects of it. Keep your radio dial tuned to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. Thanks for making the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse your favorite Christian radio station. Time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 8.59. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth. Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kHz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. Or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.